Hey, this is Attorney Shirley, and it's Fluid Truth. I am your host. We explore a simple question of what equity looks like and what it feels like from varying perspectives. The content offered in this segment is personal reflection and interpretation. The views of my guests are not necessarily the views of Fluid Truth or Quinnipiac University. For clarity, this conversation has been edited. Today's conversation is a really wonderful one between myself and my friend, Mr. Kurt Zimmerman. Mr. Zimmerman is an educator in K-12 spaces, and he's also actively involved in anti-racist programs for the community of New Haven and surrounding areas. We sat down together to talk about reflection, what it means to own it, and ultimately that we're all cousins. You're going to enjoy the conversation. Stay tuned, and you only have it right here at Fluid Truth. This is Fluid Truth. We're back one more time. And my guest today, I'm so excited because we've been trying to make this work for at least, I'm serious, it's probably been about a year, Kurt. But I have Mr. Kurt Zimmerman with me today. He's an educator in New Haven, an author, an entrepreneur, into so many amazing things. And so I'm just really excited to get the conversation started. Kurt, welcome to Fluid Truth. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, Yes, everyone, my name's Kurt Zimmerman. educator and great friend of Shirley's and that's just how it always kind of works out with us Shirley uh, we always love hanging out so it's yes. a great time and it might take a year to put it together it's but. ridiculous <laughs> I mean again so for the transparency you'll hit me up with this crazy icon or a crazy little meme that's like hey are you still alive where you been and I'm like oh my god let's take it let's get together let's let's have some dinner let's have some drinks whatever whatever and right now it's let's have a talk about equity Kurt Looking Let's get in. It. Yep. So when I pose this topic to you, because of the man that you are and the experiences that you've had, I mean, you, you welcomed it with open arms, but I'm really curious as to what brings you to this point where you're really com- comfortable speaking about equity and equity through different lenses, equity as we've seen it, equity through our experience. Tell me a little bit about how you come to this space to even have this, this ability to have this conversation. It was a journey, um, even from the first time you asked me. As your friend, I'll always be there to support you, and I want to you know, ex- exude confidence and comfort, but I was uncomfortable, to be totally honest, when it first came up, despite the many different avenues that I take towards equity work. I think that it, the question really hit me, because um, I think I mentioned to you earlier, I think it's really important to pause and reflect a lot, and. What it means for me, sometimes I'm nose to the grindstone in the work that I lose the me in the work. So what it means to me, I really had to like step back and look in the mirror and you know rediscover the me of it. Um, and so I just, I should just dive right in and with jump right on in, jump right on in. So because I'm curious about the rediscovery and where that comes from, like what had to happen for you to really kind of go through the processes of seeing, okay, this is where I've come from, and this is the point I'm at right now to even rediscover. So you want to take us through some of the process of earlier life? Take a start, start there. Yeah, I, I, I think a uh, great responsibility with the equity work that I do um, as a white man in America from a rural upbringing, it's taken a lot of journey to be where I am. and. I think that it's important to, it was important for me to reflect all the way back to my childhood to be able to present like what equity means through my lens and what my lens is. So 
as I look back in my rural town, Darien, New York, there was no diversity growing up. Um, I came to the work through compassion. Mm. My grandparents took me to church every week. My parents had me in Boy Scouts. I mentioned to you I was also blessed to be in the Girl Scouts. <laughs> I don't understand how that worked out, but an experience nevertheless. Keep going. An honorary member, and my mom was the, the troop leader, so mm-hmm. all the events were hosted at my house. And whether we're doing things for the elderly home or people in the community, service was part of my upbringing. Um, and I was also really lucky to have some key figures in my life, my father, my grandfather, and a dear cousin of mine who enhanced my curiosity of the world. Uh, We would get together once a month and they were all educators. I was an aspiring educator at the time and a teenager. Um, I found myself in these conversations about the world and about humanity and politics and you know, looking back, really never about race, but enough of the conversations that led me to have an open curiosity that to push me out into the world. Mm. Along with this compassion, that same cousin, he was in the Peace Corps. And so as I was a young teenager and growing up, we would exchange letters as he was in Thailand and helping people all around the world. And I saw something in that for myself. Mm -hmm. I felt something in that for myself. I really want and needed to give back and to have service be part of my existence. And so as I got a little older and after I got my teaching degree, I looked to where I could do that. And it wasn't really available to me in rural upstate New York. So, and, and to back up, really not a lot was. These okay. conversations were important and informative that I had with these, with my father, grandfather, and cousin, but I constantly found myself really naive of so many things in the world. So would, you, would it be fair to say that you had this compassion and empathy, but it wasn't really informed? Would that be fair? Yes. Okay. And so in an attempt to express this compassion and empathy, I signed up to go and teach in South Korea. No international understanding. Huh. No research, really, into what it would be. Just sort of this fall of forward of faith that this is something that I've wanted to do, is to travel. Maybe it was because my cousin was in Thailand and I knew nothing about geography and assumed that <laughs> this was going to be somehow the same. And so I end up in Seoul, South Korea, and it's obviously a massive metropolis for a world country. And What did you think it was going to be? Again, uh, considering that you said it's without research and yeah. you were just trying to go and help. Well, my other grandfather fought in the Korean War, so he kind of like was really pushed back on me going and was kind of setting me up for like what he had experienced and obviously this is like a long time ago but there was a lot of disparity in the country at that time and in my time in Korea one thing I learned was like the industry and the the drive of the people Korea is the only country in history that's gone from receiving UNICEF aid to being a contributor Mm. Um, so when I got there 
it was the script was flipped. It's a first world country. I'm sitting in Starbucks thinking to myself, like, okay, I need to reevaluate a little bit because <laughs> I've definitely shot off in a little bit of a different direction. Gotcha. But gotcha. I embrace it and I learned so much. It was so important. Um, even for like the equity work in America with the black community to have a deeply immersive experience in an Asian culture so far removed from where I grew up in white rural America, I think it re-established for me the the curiosity component. Mm. So although I didn't fulfill my compassionate service aspect, I got tenfold out of my ability to step back and observe and gotcha. learn gotcha. and appreciate and really just be met with a great embrace with everyone that I was there with who would help me learn, help me out if I was lost. One of the first days I was just standing in the subway. I'm from rural upstate New York, right? So I'm standing in the subway. I don't know how subways work <laughs> and mostly everything's in Korean. Right. And just somebody came up to me and was like, you look lost, can I help you out? Mm. And just this simple thing meant a world to me. And so fast forwarding, I came home from South Korea as curious as ever and with like a great abundant urge to fulfill the compassionate side of who I saw myself as. So still we have a still the same trajectory that you want to go out and be a part of something bigger than you. You want to help. You want to share the empathy that you have. It wasn't fulfilled properly in South Korea, so now you're reevaluating. Is that the part where we're at? That's right. I love it. Let's go. So this is 2013, and I'm back in America, and I have this renewed um, patriotism Mm. being back in the country that I had lost at some point along the way in my teenage years. Um, My primary focus of study in undergrad was educator, but my minor was in history. So I've been a historian my whole life. And to come back to America, I had this, this pride, maybe it was because there's so many like small cultural nuances that I just didn't have in Korea that I really missed. Even just like driving a car. Got you. Like just something about being home. And so I was like, I'm not gonna pursue international compassion. I'm gonna try to bring it home. How, what, how can I do to serve my country? So like, what can I do to serve the people nearest? Because you don't gotta go far to show love. No, you really don't. And there's a need for it everywhere. Everywhere. And everyone you meet. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and so as I sat back and I'm home, I'm thinking to myself, where can I go? How can I help? Who can I help? And I came to the conclusion that I should be helping the black community in the United States. Mm-hmm. As a history major, obviously there's a long disparaging history of the treatment of people of color in our country. Right. What can I do to make that right? And so... I was just Googling things like achievement gap. Were you really? Success. You hit the buzzword. Charter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so achievement first comes up. Yeah. Top of the link. Yep. I apply. Um, go through the interview process, which was also quite reflective. And I got the job. Mm-hmm. And I moved to New Haven, Connecticut. Yep. 
where I still reside today. Big fan. <laughs> I like New Haven. It's nice. I do too. I do too. Um, and so I'm working there for a couple of years, and it's going well, and I feel this fulfillment, and it was really a blind fulfillment. Ooh, tell me more. Well, I was so blessed to go to Achievement First, not for all the things Achievement First offered me, but for all the people Achievement First brought together. Um, I've made the best friends of my life having worked at that job. Yourself Same. included. Same. Agreed. Same. I mean... Sorry, I had to reflect. I got caught up for the first second. I get it. But, I mean, there is a need for a pause there because sometimes, and I think we both had the same experience, you go to a place expecting to be fulfilled in one way and you end up with a takeaway that was totally unexpected. And I think relationships are, are the key. To me, that's paramount. That's what, that's what we kind of build it on. So yeah, the money's great. Yes, please. And the work and professionalism, okay. Hopefully that, that lines up with what you want to do. But relationships, relationships to me are key. And that's what I still crave. And that's why I think conversations like this are important because we get a chance to dive into the relationship piece. We get a chance to dive into beyond the surface. Let's have a real conversation. So yeah, reflection is warranted. Yeah, and all those points are right too. I mean, I also was very excited to go there for the professional development. I mean, they had all sorts of coaching and different taxonomies, helped me be a better educator, and I thought I was killing the game. <laughs> and then a couple years in, I don't know how exactly happened for Achievement First. They got like a racial audit or something happened or some remember. racial abuse headline, something unfortunate yeah. happened that they started having the DEI conversations. And... It was about that time I realized I'd been operating through white saviorism Ooh. for the last several years. Ooh. And so that was like one big reflection moment for me. And it didn't come really easily. And I was going to say, how do you get to this point where like, oh, all this work <laughs> I'm doing, okay, so maybe it's from a different point, of, in point in perspective. How does that feel? Wait, we got to pause for a second. Walk me through like that emotion, that feeling. Because white saviorism, as a white man teaching in a predominantly black school, that must mean something. It must feel something. So share with me. It's a lot uglier than just saying it. And I had to really own, like, not just some ignorant things that I've said and done, but some people that I've hurt and wow. students that I've hurt. Wow. And the community that I told myself I served that... I wasn't serving the interests of the people of the community. I wasn't meeting the needs. I was bringing in what people yeah. wanted out of them versus what they needed themselves. Um, I was sitting in one of these DEI conversations and with my revamped patriotism, the message of it was history is present. And I couldn't sit with that because I wanted so badly to take action, to take service, that I just wanted present to be future. Mm. I wanted to see change. Yeah, yeah. 
but with only leading with that compassion and forsaking my curiosity and deep understanding of the history, I was just left exposed mm -hmm. in the way that I presented myself. And I don't know, maybe it's ego or something, but it led me to be embarrassed. Oh, wow. And I really wanted to fulfill my need and want to help people, and so I wasn't doing it right. So I had to look inward. I had to seek that curiosity again. I had to learn to listen twice and speak once. And going back to Achievement First, yes, they taught me all these like teaching skills that are sometimes oppressive, and they had these policies that were just like representative of it could be like prison school to prison pipeline type things and at the same time by being there I was surrounded by these amazing individuals these educators of color these compassionate people who really got it mm. in a way that I just never will do you mind sharing one of the experiences we were talking offline about an experience that you had sitting in one of the DEI circles about seeing color. Do you mind sharing that? Yeah, so it's about 60 people in the room. We're all sitting in a circle. And I, I asserted that I don't see color. And with like my own rationale of that, the perception is of equality. And so even the facilitator of the DEI, she pointed to this beautiful black dark-skinned woman and she's like what do you see and I would just sidestep the question like a hundred times wow. colleague friend woman you don't see her color and I said maybe something I don't know I, was like, I don't look for that that's not what I choose to see so again like looking back it's like shiver thinking of yourself I appreciate the reflection and the re reflective moment because that's growth. Yeah. And there is no judgment for any point that we started with considering that we choose to grow. So there's no, no judgment at any point of this conversation. So thank you for sharing it, but keep going. So these friendships continued to mean a lot and the DEI conversations didn't end and they didn't end in the sessions and they didn't end at work. These coworkers became my best friends as we referenced, so we're outside of work, we're at work, we're in the classroom, we're outside the classroom. <clears throat> For several years, this is going on, and then with the pandemic, all of life kind of paused. Sure did. I think it was a defining moment for so much of the country, because mm. you have I mean, I'm certain that you'll allude to it to an in, in a different way, but the pandemic ushered in a real resurgence of what we now call the Black Lives Matter movement, and George Floyd and his his murder in front of everyone kind of made us all sit in this place where you couldn't escape it. Plus, we're bound to our homes for the most part; you couldn't escape it. So it it forced either a reflection or force a reckoning I'm not certain which word to use but it forced us to sit with it and I think some things were born in that space that were for the good 
really for our good. So share with me. Yeah, so two of my best friends from Achievement First, Garrett Griffin and Raina Walters, we would spend just weekends together watching TV or just hanging out and talking about these issues. And then with the pandemic, it was a catalyst of action. Mm -hmm. So we shifted from hanging out as friends to hanging out as a group of people who wondered what we could do. How can we help people? How can we bring love into this world? And so we founded Anti-Racism in Action, which is a nonprofit organization where we aim to combat racism and heal its traumas. Um, How do you do that? What What's some of the program desires? Uh, we provide culturally competent and relevant curriculum guidances and school programs, uh, pre-K through 12. And we endeavor to create equitable spaces that promote acceptance for all people through a lens of cultural sensitivity and cooperative understanding. And this is based on um, the competencies of educators. The competencies, so, yeah. yeah, all three of us uh, teacher backgrounds. Well, previously, Garrett also has a background as a, I'm sorry, um, as a person who does your taxes. Accountant? No, not accountant? An accountant. Yeah. So previously, Garrett has experience as an accountant, and Raina has background experience as a lawyer and as a founder of her own businesses in the past. She's a real catalyst. She's really one of the most impressive people I've ever been blessed yeah, she, to meet. She's pretty fabulous. Yeah. And I feel like when she puts her mind towards something, it happens, and she just brought us right up and along with her and it's been two years now that we've been mm. working together getting our nonprofit off the ground so tell me more about do you call it aria is that how you call it aria yep anti-racism in action aria i like it tell me more about some of the um desires and the the intention for aria so our lens is an educator lens so we want to help the kids in the classroom and we want to help the educators in the classroom. We want to support anti-racist teacher training. Mm -hmm. We want to support a classroom environment that's inclusive for, for black students and for students of all colors. And we want the classroom to be a space, we say places, spaces, and faces. This is what it takes to make your classroom culturally inclusive. There has to be curriculum that represents the students that you teach. Yep. There has to be, if you want to call it taxonomy moves, you have to be skilled culturally to communicate with the people you serve. Um, one thing that from Christopher Emden's book, For White Folks Who Teach in the Hood and the Rest of Y'all Too. <laughs> that title is just awesome. I just love the title. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> one thing he talks about is uh, Pentecostal pedagogy. Mm. Speak on it because it resonates with me. Speak on it. We're so about it. I mean, you think of your experience in like a, in like a church setting. There's community. There's understanding. Yep. There's preaching. You might learn something about yourself. You might hear something you might not want to hear. It's all through a lens of love and togetherness. Yeah. And at the end, we have a snack. <laughs> I mean, eating together is like a really yeah. human connective thing. Yeah, man. Yeah. 
I'm pro eat together, by the way, is that relationship piece yet again. I know we're laughing about it, but to circle back to the depth of relationship and if we could build relationship mm. on any level, I think we're, we're more likely to be empathetic. We're more likely to put ourselves in another person's shoes, even if for a moment we get a chance to kind of hear their experiences and, and hear how they've chosen to approach a situation. Less judgmental. And we build those bridges. So, yeah, I'm about it. Start with a snack. Let's go. End with a snack. We end with a snack. Start with what you just talked about. Yes. It's people's experiences. Yes. And before that, you start with your own. This is one of the things why getting ready for this podcast, I took it so heavily yeah. because to model what that is, to look back on your past and your mistakes and to wow. own it and wow. to put your finger on the places where you want to see yourself grow. I I was I came across a quote by Ram Das. Okay. I would like my love my life to be a statement of love and compassion and where it isn't that's where my work lies. Mm-hmm. So for myself there were many places where I found that I had work to do. Wow. But what else am I doing? But putting in time, I'm making myself a better person for myself, for the community I serve, for, for my sure. family, for my friends. Well, there was something interesting in what you just said, if I can um, pull back for just a, mo- a moment. In, in the preparation, in the reflection, I feel like that could be hard. And not that we shy away from hard things, we do hard things all the time. But when you're faced with yourself in the mirror, I feel like that is is one almost easy to sidestep because you're like, eh, we can make excuses for ourselves. I'll, I'll speak for myself. I can make excuses for myself from now until, you know, if, if I didn't hit uh, a health goal or whatever, I can make excuses. It was a hard time, I was tired, I didn't wanna wake up, whatever it is. But to take it seriously and to really see yourself and see the reflection in the mirror and to really challenge that person who's staring back at you, which is you, to do better, I feel like that's kind of tough. How did you approach it? It is tough, and everything you named are real human experiences. To be tired, to be hungry, to be exhausted, to experience racism, Mm -hmm. to have been racist. It's like, you sit back and you reflect on it and for me, I can even see like the faces of the people who I've hurt and the students who I've done things, said things to that I wish I could take back, mm. but that's not what we can do. True. So what can we do? We can grow, we can reflect, we can own it, we can do better. Absolutely. And nobody's locked into a label, you, unless you label yourself. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that's a dangerous thing, and that's why reflecting is important too because labels are just created and they can be put on and taken off and so once you can dig deeply down and see that you don't have to have this like white guilt you don't have to have you should you should probably have regret a little bit because you hurt somebody but you can just do better true true and I love that you can apologize 
apologize and do better and we, we push for the better versions of ourselves, yeah. better relationships. You alluded to something, if you don't mind me jumping to that space, of, um, man, relationships. So when I hear relationship, I hear cousins and, and what you were expressing about uh, us being cousins. Share that with me, please. And then is the context of your writing in context of some of the other organizations that you have founded and that you're associated with, some of that other good equity work that you're doing? Yeah, um, as part of the anti-racist teacher work comes uh, what we want an understanding to be is that we're all cousins. Human Genome Project, Mm. year 2000, I believe. 99.97% all humanity is genetically the same. Race doesn't exist genetically. Right. It exists in our eyes. It exists in our world because humans have made it so. We created it. Created it. So if you can step back from that and just own and realize that we all come from a singular place we're cousins. How you treat your family? Yep. Yep. How you want your family to treat you? And the second part of that formula is a safe space. And that goes back to the places, faces, and spaces that we want children to see. And that inspired us to launch a children's books series called The Emojams. And with the Emojams, they're a band. They're, they live in New Haven. There are, and they're, they're like a neo-jazz band. They're exceptional artists. <laughs> and they're always having holiday parties. Yep. They have a Juneteenth party. Yep. They have a Kwanzaa party. Mm-hmm. And they have a local neighborhood bully who comes in and just kind of trashes on their party because he doesn't know better. Mm-hmm. And so then they begin to explain the history of the party, why they're doing it, why it's important, the cultural components that come out of it. And they talk about how to deal with the bully in an inclusive way because a lot of people operate in ignorance. True. And what we do with the ignorance can push people away or pull them in. And I think at the end of the day, our goal is to pull everybody in. It sure is. It is. And kids get that. So how have you tried to reframe the message for kids? And I'm hearing some of the things that you're saying. So we're bringing in this cultural component. We're bringing in this socio-emotional approach to learning and to dealing with other people. But how are you framing the message for kids? It is through the social-emotional lens. In the instances of the book where the bully does something racist or he says something hateful about culture, the story itself pauses and there's a jam page mm. where you just pause and breathe, accept how you feel, and move in a positive direction. Nice. This is something I use in my classroom. This is something I use myself. Mm-hmm. It, it's a really great toolkit for anybody who's going through anything. Yeah. And our students go through a lot. Not just racism. True. But the effects of systemic racism. Housing. Food. Yeah. Domestic issues. 
So it's interesting because we were talking, again, there's so much in, in our current conversation that I'm referencing previous conversations. So uh, uh, whomever's listening just has to follow along, that we're all over the place because we have these conversations pretty often. But rather than just being head on with racism, there is an undercurrent of systemic racism with all those systems that you're making reference to. And this becomes a bigger, more challenging picture. So sometimes when I think about it, I get overwhelmed. I'm like, oh man, there's so many things to fix. We have housing, we have food insecurity, we have, you know, um, whatever the, the wealth building we have, um, what is it called? I can't remember what it's called, but it's, it's along the lines of the economic, ec- economics. And there's so many pockets that we could address. For me, sometimes I get overwhelmed and then I have to put myself in my space that I like to speak equity. I like to have these conversations. I like to in, engage people in their own story for this for another piece of understanding. How do you take this large topic, which can be very overwhelming, and how do you kind of minimize it to where you're comfortable in learning and teaching? Um, I think it start well, for us, our background is as educators, and so it's about the babies, and what can we do to help the kids? One thing we can do to help the kids is provide them with social emotional tools and the knowledge, the historical content, the cultural content of the world that prepare them for the world that they're growing up in. Prepare the educators to go, who like myself, when they go into the community are more prepared, mm-hmm. are more responsible. And I think, I think it's also about like any art, putting the humanity into it. Love that. What makes a great poem it hits you in your soul? Why is it your favorite song that got you through a hard time? Yep, yep. How do you help people access this beast of systemic racism? Mm-hmm. I think you have to go into the history. You have to read the words. You have to learn the stories. Mm. It has to hit you in your heart and your soul because it's so abstract, designed to be unapproachable. Very true. Designed to be abstract, confusing. But there's nothing confusing. Well, there's a lot of things confusing about emotions, but there's nothing confusing about having them. True. It's the most natural thing. True. And so in our research, in our pursuit of knowledge, we were very blessed to receive a grant with fund for teachers because in our beginning work in the classroom with this we notice when talking about the period of enslavement or racism or anything children of young ages of all ages mm-hmm. it's disparaging and it's um disheartening yeah to learn about the world you're growing up in and the way your people were treated. Yep. And the way your people are treated. Yep. Very true. Very true. And to remember that own experience you had. We're talking small children. Right. Who have been in the car when it, they were pulled over. True. Who have experienced anything that you could imagine. To help them get the context. Mm-hmm. To help them 
not just understand that it's happened and it's happening, but to do that through an empowering lens. That it's not happening because there's anything wrong with them. It's happening because there's real hate in the world. And so with our research with Fun for Teachers, we sought to discover a historical narrative that was more empowering for our students. Mm. And so we sought to research the transatlantic and the domestic slave trade within the United States to find empowering stories. We found so many. It depends on the lens with which we look at it, though. That's beautifully stated, because I was going to suggest if you're looking for it, you'll find it, right? But it might be in the undercurrent of the narrative that we are fed and that we are... We're not even really taught this in schools, but the narrative that's more prevalent. So I feel like it might be in the undercurrent. I would encourage everybody, you got to do your own research, or at least develop like a network of sources that you trust to try to find it. And so as a historian and with historic-focused peers, we went to the primary sources. Mm -hmm. We went to the museums. We stopped at the African American Museum in Philadelphia, Baltimore, in Washington. We went on tours of plantations in New Orleans. Um, and with, with no shortcoming in any of these, we're founding the empowered narratives that the narrative that African people were enslaved because their barbaric cultures in Africa couldn't it's even hard to speak the words. Yeah, yeah. When in reality, the slave ships would target cultures and regions based on their skills. They would go to the Nigerian region to find the Masons, who were the builders. They would go to other regions to find the skilled farmers who would be able to harvest the sugar cane. The value they put on the people they enslaved who knew how to do this. The modern title of that role as a food chemist being a highly educated position in society today. Right. The history of the uprisings, talking about hundreds of uprisings, talking about changing the narrative from rebellious slaves to revolutionaries. It's interesting the power of words. Amen. Really, really. And um, as you change the narrative, there's a young person who would have been very um, feeling diminished by the story that now can take on another feeling. The story hasn't changed, but the frame has changed. And it keeps changing because the power of words is evolving with the societal, mm. with society leaning into the conversation. So true. And I think one so thing that true. I would encourage my white peers when it comes to language, whether you want to say black or African American, or even the subtle difference between slaves and enslaved. Enslaved, true. And true. there's so much voca vocabulary when you start to approach this conversation. I mean, first of all, listen twice and speak once. Educate yourself. If you're uncomfortable with the words, research them. 
Yeah. If you make a mistake, apologize. But allow yourself the room to grow. Allow yourself the curiosity. Allow yourself the compassion to forgive yourself if you make a mistake because you're going to want the forgiveness from somebody else. And if you can't give it to yourself and if you can't give it to others, you cannot expect to receive it. Kurt, this is amazing. I mean, I think we have to pause now, but I feel like we end on this high note and we end on a positive outlook because there are some mechanisms for change and you're operating in them right now. And I, I feel like how you were saying, you know, we lead with love. This conversation, we're ending with love. And really just hoping that those who are listening engage in the conversation and reach out. And your resource as well. Is there a best way to connect with you if anyone wants to continue the conversation? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate all that. It is all about love at the end of the day. We're all cousins. We let's sure let's show the love. Love yourself. Love your neighbor. Love the people you don't know. Yep the people you haven't met and if you're all about love we are at antiracisminaction.org and we'd love to help spread the love i love it thanks so much Kurt. thank you thanks for listening in today special thanks to our executive producer david deroche and the amazing team at quinnipiac university music is provided by audio hero from their jazz lounge album you can connect with this show on instagram at Fluid Truth. That's F-L-U-I-D-T-R-U-T-H. We've been having a great time going through Black History Month with a few highlights and a few amazing conversations. We're going to keep the party going with the next few episodes, too. To learn more about all of our podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can listen to our podcast on the platform or app of your choice. Be sure to, talk, be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at QPodcasts. If you have a story to share or something that you want to talk about, find us on social media or just shoot us an email. That address is qupodcast at qu.edu. All right, that's it for today. Till next time.